my pitch to someone wanting to move on to a boat, it's an awesome way to live. And the people that you meet living that lifestyle will restore your faith in humanity because the coolest thing about boating is, especially sailing, you know, you, you pick this arcane way of travel, right? We're all worrying about the fastest internet, the fastest phone, and we got all this stuff. And then here we are traveling at six and a half miles an hour by wind speed, 3000 year old technology, right? Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 39. Have you ever considered a tiny house on the water? My guest today is Chris DeCroce, and together with his wife, Melody, Chris went from never having lived on a sailboat to nearly six years on the water. Tiny houses and sailboats share a lot of DNA when it comes to use of space and lifestyle. So Chris is here to help us learn about the sailing lifestyle and how to choose between a tiny house on the ground and a tiny house on the water. This is the last show of 2019, and I would just like to wish you and your family a happy new year and thank you so much for being here. Producing the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast is my favorite part of of every week running my online business, and I can't thank you enough. So all I ask is for you to please help me spread the word about the show. Uh, If you haven't yet subscribed, go ahead and subscribe to the show. If there's someone in your life who is interested in tiny houses, maybe encourage them to subscribe. Or if they don't know how, you can just take their phone and subscribe them to the show. And if you've already subscribed, please consider sharing the show on social media or leaving a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Finally, I want to hear from you. How can the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast help you achieve your tiny house goals in 2019? I'd love to hear your feedback as well as hear your suggestions for guests that you'd like me to invite onto the show. You can email podcast at thetinyhouse.net to send that feedback. Again, podcast at thetinyhouse.net, and thank you. All right, my guest today is Chris DeCroce. Chris is an Amazon bestselling author, online educator, and sailor. After six years of living tiny in a sailboat, he, his wife, and dog are continuing their minimalist lifestyle while traveling through Mexico. Chris, I can't talk today, but welcome to the show. Hey, Ethan, what's up? It's okay, man. I can't talk either. So we're going to be two peas in a pod. I was hoping that we could just start off by having you tell kind of your story. What What is the backstory of you deciding to to live on a boat? And what were you doing before that? So uh, this goes back to... Um, you know, and I was touring as a musician for, for 25 years out of Nashville, Tennessee, originally from Philly. I moved to Nashville in 1990 and I was I started my own label and released some records and I was touring. And then in 2001, September 11th happened and most of my business dealings and stuff were in New York. My management was in New York and my family's from Philly and stuff. So the whole Northeast and the entire country, as we all know, everything, the world had changed that day. So uh, I was in the middle of my third record and nobody really wanted to hear about it. Um, they were, of course, there were so many other things that were going on in the world and everything kind of took a, 
a big hit. And for me, I was running my own label. So uh, I was crushed. I mean, mp3.com came out, all of these um, Napster, they had all just come out and they hadn't really wrangled in the process of paying, you know, for the intellectual property. So everybody was downloading stuff. And when I would, before that happened, when I would sell a record and I'd go out on tour, I would have my record sales every night that would happen in the shows. But once that stuff happened, um, you know, you'd sell a record online, then it got uploaded for free and everybody downloaded it. So I took a huge hit and I needed to rethink some stuff. So, uh, a friend of mine was running a film company in Nashville and he said, do you want to produce some, some, um, films with me and with the company? And it's only, it's a short term thing. And I thought, what a great idea. It'll get me off the road. It'll allow me to think about some stuff and reprioritize my life and figure out what's important with everything that's going on in the world. And that ended up lasting like 11 years. Um, they kept me on year after year after year. And I kept saying, I'll do it for one more year. I'll do it for one more year. And then, um, in 2006, I went to Belize and I met a guy who was living on his sailboat with his wife and he had this amazing story and I had sailed as a kid, but I didn't do it in my later years. So I listened to his story and I was just blown away that he'd been around the world on his going on his second time. And I thought, man, I asked him questions every morning we met for coffee and I just bombarded him with questions. And when I went back to Nashville, I, I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to try to find a a way to do this, put this in motion. And my buddy told me about this little sailing club that was like 20 minutes from my house. So this was January. I was out there the next Sunday and long story short, that was 2006. I bought this crappy little boat that was about to sink and I fixed it up and I sold it. And then I bought another boat. And in 2010, my, my company was, the company I was working for was going down, the contracts were shrinking, the writing was on the wall. And I kept asking them for, you know, Hey, what if we try this? And what if we try this? And they were just really uninterested in securing the future of the company. So I started to kind of freak out and think I I'm done. I I'm done with this. I, I, I've been making excuses to not be doing music and to not be creative for 10 years because I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I was my girlfriend who is now my wife, Melody. I went home and I came up from work one night and I just said, I'm selling the house. I want to sell the house. I want to quit this job and I want to go sailing for a year. What if we just do it for a year and we make a plan? Um, and at the end of the year, we'll, we'll decide where we're going to buy a house and we'll, we'll just do, we'll just, get rid of all this crap in this house and start over. And initially she was reluctant. And then we had several talks, just, you know, serious talks and across the table about what we wanted in life and stuff. And so finally one day she just said, I don't know what I'm afraid of. Let's do this. And um, so I sold the day I sold my drums, which I had for almost 30 years, she came in and she's like, you sold your drums. And I said, yes. And she said, wow, this is serious. <laughs> Um, and then in 2012, uh, late 2011, actually we sold the house. We rented a tiny little apartment from a friend of mine in, in East Nashville. And we still had a ton of stuff. We bought a new boat down in Florida and I was doing nine hour trips back and forth, taking stuff down there, working on the boat. And, and we left Memorial day weekend of 2012 for what was to be a one year plan, um, 
And it was just going to be, we, we loved New York. We didn't want to be there in the winter. We loved Florida. We didn't want to be there in the summer. We just didn't know where we wanted to be. So the boat was perfect for us because we could go to the Chesapeake Bay in June and spend the entire summer seeing my family in Philly and then go down to Florida in September, October for fall and spend the winter down there. And it was just, I ended up working freelance down there. So it kind of fit into our schedule and the way we were wanting to move. And, uh, and then we lost Mel's mom in 2012 at a very young age. And that kind of pushed her into the realm of, you know, uh, I had long talks with her mom saying, you know, I'll never, I'll take care of your daughter and, you know, we're not going to have a boring life. I'm going to make sure she's got, you know, I'll take care of her and she's got someone who loves her and it's going to be fun. And so once that happened, she was kind of like, you know what, life is short and we need to just keep going right now for a little while and see what happens. And we just kept going and here we are in 2018 and we're still going. Wow. That's quite a story. I didn't realize there was there was that kind of personal tragedy in there as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it was so unexpected and uh, it was just it was just something that it wasn't really always in the forefront of our mind, like, you know, oh, you know, Catherine passed away, so we have to keep doing this. But it definitely cauterized my wife's to the point where she said, you know, there's something to this. Um, we're having a good time. And the first year, let me just say, the first year we lived aboard was hell because everything that went wrong on the boat could have gone wrong on the boat did go wrong. And I mean, our entire savings that we had planned to have for most of the year was gone within the first four months. <laughs> so um, it was a stressful, stressful year, but we, I don't know, we just, um, you know, there's something about living in a small space, which you know, you're married, you live in a small space, you have to work around things, right? You can't, you can't work through your mate. You can't be mad and go sleep on the couch because the couch is basically in the same room as your regular everything else. Um, and on a sailboat, it's the same. So when there's um, a tragedy or there's, you know, you guys have a tiff or something happens, then you have to really work it out. So we were learning a lot about us as well as this whole new lifestyle about, you know, we weren't crazy hoarders by any means, but you know, we had a ton of books and we had stuff that we needed to get rid of. I had a ton of instruments that I'd had for 25 years. So this whole first year was a huge learning curve and then um, not to mention the loss of her mom. So it definitely uh, set things in deeper. Man, I can't imagine having to let go of instruments. Um, many people know I'm a musician as well. And that's like one of the only things that like even though I can't fit all of my gear in my tiny house, like I'm like, never sell your gear. Like, you know, I have right? several it's, guitars. It's like a child. <laughs> yeah, like guitars, amps, like a bass for recording stuff, like lots of smaller stringed instruments. And it's funny, I kind of like distribute them around. I'm like, oh, I'll leave a guitar at mom's house and like I stick one in the tiny house. And then like, it's just like, don't want to get rid of them, but I just spread them out. So how do you, you know, how do you let go of things that are so important to you? Like, what do you, what do you tell people? Well, what happened, what happened for me was, um, I was stuck in this spot in Nashville where I, I just, 
I had been working this job that I hated, and I swore I was never going to do that. I had been a musician. I'd made my way for 25 years, and I just got really confused. I got lost, and I, so I took this gig, which lasted 10 years. By the time I quit, I was two, almost 200 pounds, and my hair was falling out. And I, we had this little back house in our yard. We had a 900 square feet, 950 square foot house, and we had like a 600 square foot back house. I had a bathroom in it that I used for my studio and stuff. And so I would just, I just went back there one day and I looked at my awesome 52 Gibson Explorer Tweed amp that I would crank my telly through, and I absolutely loved it. And I played some awesome gigs with it and had some great experiences. Uh, but I kind of felt like it was an anchor to use a boat term. I mean, all this stuff that I was wrapped in was keeping me from trying something else because it was like, oh man, I can't get rid of that. I've had those drums for 30 years. I've had that guitar. That was this guitar. That was this. Oh, I played that show here. I did that. And so I had this studio full of stuff and I went, I really had to come to Jesus, man. I went back there and just thought, you know what? Um, there's, these are the things I'm going to keep. And these are the things I'm going to get rid of because I needed to show my wife a, that I was serious, that I was, it was like no joke now. Like I was really afraid that I was going to waste the next 10 years of my life again, like 10 years went by so fast. And I was thinking if that went that fast, I'm going to sit here with this room full of really cool amps and stuff. And I'm going to be another 10 years older and this stuff is still just going to be here. So I, I do regret, I had a guild 12 string, that was a D74 or D D112, something like D212, something like that, D212. And it was a magical guitar, a magical guitar. And I sold it to my friend, Matt Benke, who plays in a band in Portland called uh, Skybound Blue. And I said, I, this is still my guitar. I'm selling it to you and you're giving me money, but it's still my guitar. So don't put stickers on it. Don't carve anything in it because I'm going to buy it back from you when I miss it really bad. So even to this day, to this day, he sends me pictures and he's like, she's still your guitar. I'm just renting her. And I'm like, I want that thing back, man. But yeah, it's just, I, you know, I still have, I have my custom guild six string that they built me. I'd never sell that one. I have a 1949 Gibson ES-175 that my dad bought when he was in the Marine Corps wow. back in 1940. Yeah. And then I have... um my telly that I took to USO tour and like just a couple, they're all scattered. Like my mom's got them and they're under the bed in her house. And she's like, can I put these in the basement? And I said, you better not. You better don't ever let me see them. If they're in the basement, when I come home for Christmas to see you, you better pull them up, put them in the guest room. But <laughs> yeah, you know how it is, man. You, they're like selling your children. You can't, they all have little experiences in there. You know, those songs that you create with, with that mandolin or whatever you you're playing, it has a song in it. You pick up that mandolin and it starts to talk to you. And that's what same with guitars, you know, you pick up, you know, so I don't know. You just, I just had to resign myself to the fact that something better was going to happen. And if I needed a set of drums, I could buy a set of drums and no, they wouldn't be my drums that I played at the, you know, my first gig or whatever. But at this point in life is like, I don't know. I, I've traded my sentiment, sentimentality, I guess, for just, um, life, you know, I, I wasn't, it wasn't worth wasting it for me. It was like, I can always get another set of drums and the memories aren't with the drums. The memories are with me, right? That goes into that whole downsizing course that we're talking about the whole psychology of stuff that everyone has a problem with. 
getting rid of their stuff because they think the memories are in the things, which they're not. They're with you, and the things are just things. Yeah, that's such a great point. I, I was, I, I was helping my wife do some downsizing, and she had this amazing experience when she was in high school sailing on a boat for I think two semesters, and she had all this kind of memorabilia in a box, like in the top shelf of the closet for years and years and years. And the way we were able to figure out how to let go of it is we just, we took pictures of everything and then we let it go. Cause the stuff like had no use, but it was, right. you know, at least getting to see it to spark those memories is, is really all you need. And that's the beautiful thing these days with like Pinterest and Instagram. Like you can, we all have, like I have a photo album from when I was like touring all over, right? And they're great. You look through and you get to relive those nights. Oh, I remember that night in San Francisco. I remember that night in LA. But they, then you stick that thing away for another 10 years and it's just a big dust bowl. But now we can all take pictures in the digital world, which is amazing because look at the technology we're using now. You're in Vermont, I'm in Mexico, and we're having a conversation like it's clearer than if I were sitting across the table from you. So this technology has enabled us to Take pictures of stuff, you know, you love that thing. And the sailing memories that she has are so important. Uh, but she's probably going to look at them more if, if she uses it as a desktop, you know, the screensaver on her desktop with a picture that she took from the box or something than she would if she left it in those boxes, you know. So that's the hard thing, though, is we have all this emotion wrapped around these things that we think if we give the thing away, we're going to give the memory away. Right. Well, I want to back up a little bit because I kind of want to zoom out and talk about the basics, kind of the basic stats of living on a sailboat. Like, you know, what are the costs on average to like get into this lifestyle? What are the costs, you know, on a day to day basis, year to year basis? Um, and then maybe we could, you know, we'll start there. Like, what are the costs? Sure. Well, I mean, it's different. This is the hard thing. It's like tiny houses, right? It's the same thing with sailing. It's, it. People ask me all the time through our blog and stuff, and how much does it cost to go cruising? And then I have to reflect back and say, well, how? what type of person are you? Because you can cruise. There are people cruising in like little 28-foot boats they bought for $3,500, and they have like a little tiny propane stove in there, and they they go they don't go to marinas, and they, you know – and then there are people cruising in 55 footers and they're like, oh my God, this is such a sacrifice. And we've met both. And we were kind of in the middle. We were on a 35 foot boat, which my wife and I were not tall. I'm like five, seven. She's like five, four. So, you know, we had six, six, three of headroom in it. It was 35 feet long. We had, it was unusual because we had a little, it had a shower, separate shower, which most boats have. It's a wet bath. You know, the whole, the whole head gets wet. You have a shower in there. But so we had a few things and it was, it was a great boat and we paid 30 grand cash for it. Right. So, um, in some people's world, that's, that's five years of living, right? And in other people's world, they look at us like, you're crazy. That's like, you guys are like slumming it. So um, there's a whole gamut. You know, if you stay in marinas, um, some marinas, especially in Florida now, if you want to go down to escape the winter, like it's eight, 900 bucks a month for a 35-foot boat. If you're at 40 feet, you're talking $1,500 a month. You're talking, you know, high rent apartment. And if you can anchor out, and go in every day, you know, you get a mooring ball. Some places still charge $20 a day for a mooring ball. So 
then you're still you're having to dinghy in every day. You got to go to the market. You got to go here. You got to take the dinghy in and take it back. So there's just this whole. How do you want to live? You know, how do you want to, how do you, can you live like totally, it'd be, it's being on a mooring ball or being at anchor is the equivalent to being off grid in a tiny house. You know, everything has to be brought in. Your water's in your tanks, your your waste goes into your tanks. Um, a lot of people are switching out their marine toilets with holding tanks into the composting realm now. But I mean, that's still most boats on, uh, most sailboats and stuff are still going with the marine toilet a because of size and b just because if you go somewhere you're not sure how someone's going to react in the marine environment if you get stopped by the coast guard i actually haven't done much research on that i would think it'd be fine but you know the coast guard has these coast guard sanctioned marine waste containers that they have to be sanctioned under the coast guard so but it can cost yeah i mean we know people who've done it for 10 to 12 grand a year and we know people who do it and they spend like 150 grand a year it's just just depends on who you are. Do you want to eat out every night? Do you want to drink, you know, go to the marina bar every night and have three or four beers and sit there and you know that adds up. But if you like to cook and you go to the farmers markets and local markets and stuff and you cook and eat on board, then you can do it for a whole range. It's just how how intense you are as far as what luxuries you need. So in your situation cuz I I'm getting that it there's a huge range as there is in tiny houses. How much time did you spend, you know, at a marina or, you know, docked up somewhere versus, you know, out in the ocean, you know, the open ocean just sailing? Well, what we did the, f- the first five years we were cruising, we left in 2012. We went to Fort Lauderdale then we went to the Chesapeake Bay and we stayed at a friend's marina up there. And that was when like the we put more yo- use on the boat in our year of sailing than the owners, previous owners did in five years. So everything that went wrong, could have went wrong, could have gone wrong, went wrong. So we were doing all kinds of repairs. We were in a marina because my wife was still working. The The blessing was that when she went to quit her job, her company in Nashville said, we would like for you to work remotely. So for us, we had our savings gone, but we didn't have the bottom completely drop out. So we were staying in a marina the first year. Then we sailed to Fort Lauderdale and we spent, you know, a month on in transiting down the ICW, the intercoastal waterway, which is an amazing trip in the United States that most people don't even know about. Um, and then when we got to Fort Lauderdale, I took a gig again, freelancing, uh, with a production company that, that bailed me out. I had a friend down there and she said, I could totally use your help if you're hurting financially, which we were at that point. So we spent the first four years doing that. We went from one marina to the next. And then the last couple of years when we left the States, we went to Cuba. And of course, in Cuba, you have to stay in the marina in Havana because, you you know, there's restrictions. But then we went all the way down the coast of Mexico to Guatemala and we anchored out for three months, four months, five months. And we literally just went into marinas to get fuel if we needed it, diesel, and to top off water tanks and to pump out our holding tanks. So if that even needed to happen because, you know, but yeah, I mean, it depends on if you're trying to live a life. Um, if you're living and you're working, you're still going to a job, you're going to probably have to be in a marina because you're going to need to take showers. You're going to need to dress for work and stuff. And that right there, you know, if, if it depends on where you are in the world, you know, if you're in a high rent area, you're going to be paying not quite as much as what you'd pay for probably an apartment. And then you don't have to buy furniture and stuff. So your boat is, 
your house. That's the great thing about a boat is, you know, one of the things we loved was it's so compact and it's, you know, your, your, your galleys in there, your heads in there, your little living rooms in there. You don't have to buy furniture and all that stuff, but you do have to think about other things that involve your life and how you're having to conduct yourself. If you're going to a job every day or if you're working freelance. So when you were anchored out off the coast of Guatemala, was your wife able to continue to work? Like, did, did you have internet or are you just completely cut off at that point? No, we cut off. When we left in 2016, we, we saved as much as we could and we said we were going to travel for as long as we could. We were going to go until the money ran out or something big broke. And when we got to Guatemala, um, we left in February. We got to Guatemala in May. Um, we had three months where we were just out. We were just, you know, diving, snorkeling every day, catching fish for food and stuff like that. And when we got to Guatemala, we, uh, you know, the cool, the greatest thing about this way of living is, is you think, you know, you're freaking out the whole time. Like, what are we going to do when we get to Guatemala? What are we going to do? We get to Guatemala. We're there for like three days. We meet this person who knows this person who knows this person. We get a slip at this cool little marina called Monkey Bay Marina. And all of a sudden they have Wi-Fi and a cool beer cooler and a bunch of hammocks and stuff. So then we went right to work. I released my book. My wife called up a couple of clients and said, look, we landed. We're here. I have some Wi-Fi. It's not reliable, but, you know, I can do projects here and there as long as it's not like a time demand where at 1030 in the morning I'm going to have to have a conference call. I can do this and it might, you might, I might be sending you emails at midnight, but this is what we did. And that's kind of, it just stuff just starts to work out. It's just bizarre. Yeah. That's so cool. Just how, when you take those risks and you make the leap, so many opportunities start to present themselves that you just never would have seen before. Yeah. And I mean, it's terrifying. The problem is it's terrifying. And that's what a lot of people don't get past um, because you think about it and we're so, you know, it's, it's totally justified too, to be terrified. Um, my family was like, what are you thinking? What are you going to do when you get to Guatemala? We were, we were like, we don't know what we're going to do when we get to Guatemala. The problem, we, we can't really worry about that. The first thing to do is get to Guatemala. Right. And the first thing before that is to get to Mexico. And before that it was to Cuba. So like, you can't worry about Mexico. The greatest thing, one of my favorite quotes is a sailor doesn't worry about what can happen. They worry about what does happen. Because if you sit around worrying about what can happen, you'll never leave the dock. The boat could sink. You could get hit by an oil tanker. You can get struck by lightning. That stuff is so freaking terrifying. I'd never leave the dock if I thought about that. So, yeah, I mean, another great quote is leap and the net will open, you know. And so you just have to trust that. And the thing is, is if you, if you can kind of put yourself in the best position to have luck help you, then that's a big plus, right? So if you're you already have something going on and you and you're trying to figure out a way to connect the dots like if you have a podcast or you have this or you're a songwriter or a jingle writer or a you know an editor which is my wife is then you put yourself in the best position to let people know like hey we're going to be out of pocket for five or six months but then when we get back we're going to just really really hustle and bust our ass to try to reconnect these things and work when we can and that's kind of what happens and sometimes the universe just, I guess, pays you off for your trust, I think. I like that. Let's talk about downsizing a bit because I know that you've been focusing a lot of your attention on helping others to downsize. So why don't you tell us a bit about 
you know, why you decided to create resources for downsizing and, and, you know, what they are? Well, um, this past September, our, we had a wake up call when we were in Guatemala, our dog started to lose his eyesight. So we started to think about, oh my God, you know, we can't leave him on this boat because it's really hard. He's 11. So it's going to be really hard for him to, and cruel for him to be walking around this boat and risk him falling off. So we needed to start thinking about the plan. And we just decided, we just, just threw it out there. Like maybe we should sell the boat and and think about getting him some grass for a while. Well, then something happens again with the universe, right? So somebody makes me an offer on my boat. And in three weeks later, we have no boat, none. We're standing in Guatemala with no boat, no house, nowhere to go in the States. So we went to Antigua, Guatemala, and we rented a little apartment. And I started thinking, you know, people were asking me through the blog, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? And they, you know, ultimately the next question was, I wish I could do that, but I don't even know where to start. And so my wife's an editor. She works with a bunch of people, uh, female entrepreneurs predominantly, to launch their online courses. That's what she does. And and all of her clients to a, to a person was saying, you know, there's so many people that want to live tiny and a lot of people want to live on a boat. Why don't you – your husband, he's written all these books and stuff. He should write a course for people to help them downsize. And so I thought, you know what? One of my favorite things to do in the world is help people and inspire people because we didn't have a lot of money. The problem is people think you're rich when you live on a boat. You must be retired. You must be. And everyone said to us, you're so young. How did you get to move on a boat? It's like, well, we have no money, but we are a little bit crazy and we just believe. So <laughs> I um, I started this. I wrote, I wrote this first course called Downsizing for a Life Afloat to kind of talk to people about the psychology surrounding like we had spoken about earlier is when you have all this this memory attached to an item that's what keeps people from even beginning to downsize right they go out in their garage they look around and you know 25% of Americans can't even fit a car in their two car garage which is a staggering statistic to me but so they go I don't I would love to move onto a boat but I don't know I don't even know where to start so that course got done and then other people were saying, well, it would be great if it was just for tiny house. And I thought, you know, there's so many resources out there. Everybody has a course for tiny houses and stuff or at resources and stuff about, about how to downsize. But I didn't see a lot talking about the psychology surrounding it. So, I mean, if you treat the symptom, you're, you, you can't really get to the root of the problem because if people don't understand why, they're having such a hard time getting rid of something, then they're just going to keep talking themselves out of getting rid of it. So then I created Downsizing for Tiny Life, which is the online course, which a lot of it is the psychology of downsizing. And then it predominantly gives you tasks that if you do these tasks, and it doesn't matter if you do them, if you're hardcore, I had a woman do it six weeks. She did the whole course. That was the woman that went down and moved onto her boat. She did it six weeks. She went onto her boat in six weeks, and she still had to do some downsizing on the dock. But they're tasks that tell you it teaches you how to list an item on Craigslist, how to take great pictures, how to write great ads to sell stuff, how to sell stuff. And it talks about just getting you from your house into one step closer to the dock. And you you know and you don't even need to want to do that. You don't even need to want to if you don't want to move into a tiny house and you just want to downsize it walks you through step by step 
the process of telling you a little bit about psychology of stuff. And then once you know why you're so attached, maybe it's a little easier to get rid of that box of sailing memorabilia that your wife had to get rid of. Right. And um, for our listeners, Chris mentioned that he has a breaking up with your stuff checklist that we will link to in the show notes. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about this checklist? You know, what is it? What is it for? What does it do? Yeah, this checklist is a room by room downsizing checklist. All right. And it's free to your listeners um, at mondovasilando.com slash tiny house lifestyle. We'll put that in your show notes. I'm sure you'll do that. But um, this is, you know, when you say people don't even know where to start, right? They go, well, what do I do? How do I even start? Well, we all know people that have candles. How many candles do you have in your house that are burnt down to the nub that barely light, right? They're still sitting there. How many remotes do you have in the drawer that probably you don't even know what they go to, but they're still there. I mean, there's stuff like that all over your house from your bedroom to your bathroom that are things that are immediate get rid ofs without any emotional cost, right? They should, they, this, this whole, this room, room by room downsizing checklist is a list for each room in your house that gives you items that there should be no emotion attached. You should just be able to a donate. B, sell it or throw it away, not even sell it. It's so concise. This first checklist is about this is trash and this can be given to somebody else. There's no emotion. You don't have to think about getting rid of these candles or this 1995 issue of of Women's Day magazine that you're keeping for the beef stew recipe in there that you've never made and you're never going to make. So that this checklist gets you started and gives you a bunch of small wins and goes after the low-hanging fruit that when you're done, you go, oh, my God, maybe I can do this. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm excited to check it out myself, and we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. So I'm curious where you last left us off in your story. You were in Guatemala renting, renting an apartment, and I believe now you are in Mexico. So catch us up from, from <laughs> then to present. Oh, man, it's such a crazy story, right? So we're sitting in Antigua, and then all of a sudden, after five months, you know, first of all, in Antigua, after I I started to think about this course, and I, I did this course, and I wrote it, and I was kicking it around, I was thinking, my Spanish is really bad, so I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to go work. And my buddy, I met a guy there, and he was like, I have a friend that runs this really big sports bar, and he had some people quit for Christmas and New Year's, and he needs a bartender. And I was like, great. And they were like, can you speak Spanish? And I go, yep. So, of course, I'm fibbing a little. I can speak Spanish. but And then I end up working New Year's Eve on, on in the busiest night with all these people. I, didn't, I could not speak Spanish. It was a dreadful, horrible, horrible, worst night of my life. So we were like, maybe we need to change. Maybe we should go somewhere else. And we should start trying to work our way back to the States. And we have the dogs. So that's an issue. We, we have to kind of travel differently, crossing borders and stuff. And so we rented a car and we thought, okay, we'll go to Oaxaca, Mexico from Guatemala. Um, actually we were in Antigua. We went to Shela, Guatemala, which is closer to the border. Um, and then we thought we'll cross over and we'll go to Oaxaca. We'll stay there for a month or two and we'll make a plan and we'll figure out how to get jet back to the States and we'll put all this together. And so we got to Oaxaca, we rented this small little place 
And it has a backyard and jets in heaven and my wife's in heaven. There's mountains and beautiful flowers. And so I've just been writing and working and the Wi-Fi is really strong here. So, and the food scene is great. The art scene is great. The city is amazing. And I figured, what's the rush back to the States? Things are a little crazy there right now. And, um, so my wife traveled back a few times, and so now we're we're thinking about coming back first of the year again. But we've just been really saving money and making hay because we want to get back on a boat, but we don't like it's. We're kind of in the same situation. Jet's still here, right? He's, his, his situation hasn't changed. So for us to put him back in that situation, uh, and we thought about, well, we'll just buy a boat, we'll park in a marina, and. Um, We'll just live there and we'll get him some grass and stuff and he'll have a regular life. And yes, we'll be on a boat, but we're not traveling, so it won't stress him out. And that's kind of where we're sitting now because as we're looking at this going back to rent, I'm like, I'm freaking out again. I'm having anxiety attacks. I'm like, man, the rent's a thousand bucks a month for a one bedroom place. And then we got to buy furniture and then we, we don't have like we have nothing. We sold everything. So I'm like looking at maybe we could build a tiny house. And my wife's like, where are we going to live, honey? When we, when you build this tiny house, we can live in a tent, you know, like, so yeah, we're kind of, we're in this spot now. We're in Oaxaca, Mexico and I'm writing and she's got her clients and, um, we're, we're doing these, um, we're going to do a webinar with a course. We're going to do some workshops. We're going to schedule some workshops. Um, even if we don't go back to the States, I'll, sch- I'll schedule a couple of workshops in the States just to get together, just to, to try to get people excited because everybody is so jazzed up on the tiny house movement with good reason, right? I mean, it's so nice to see people coming back to less is more, less stuff, more life. And that's just kind of, I, that's kind of in my wheelhouse, you know, I love, talking to people about it. So I don't know what we're going to do, but, um, we're, we're, we're in that state of flux where we just kind of have to trust again. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know what's had different this time than it was last time. I guess I'm a little older and now I'm thinking, oh man, trust this twice, trust this process twice, but we don't really have a choice, right? We just kind of, we have to let this happen and we have to figure out what we're going to do. We're looking at boats, we're looking at tiny houses, we're looking at all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I don't hear people who are considering a tiny house really think about a boat that often. So I'm curious, like, what is your pitch? What would, you know, what would you say to somebody who's like, oh, I'm thinking about downsizing into a tiny house? You know, what's your advice to them to, on how they should think about living on a boat or how they should consider it? Well, that's a great question because there are a lot of YouTube channels now where all these beautiful young couples are out there going, we're going to buy a boat and we're going to sail around the world. I mean, I see it every day and I get links from friends going, what's going to happen to these guys? And I go, well, you know, the thing about a boat is there's such a romantic image attached, right? The woman on the bow in a white flowing dress, the dude in the back with a sweater sipping champagne and the boat's cruising through the water, (laughs) right? It's like, man, everybody, look at these people. They're in Belize and they're diving for their lobster. And look, they're like, they got like sandy feet and they're just living the life of Riley. That's what my family thinks. They're like, dude, you don't have a worry in the world. But they, if you don't know how to sail, you can really do some damage, right? I mean, there are people that buy boats. They don't know what they're doing. 
And they, it, it's a boat is a money pit. Like you, you were talking to me about my five reasons to choose a waterbound tiny house, right? So it was like I was thinking about this. And there's a misnomer that you're going to get on this boat and it's going to be beautiful and romantic. And that can be, but it's really hard. So anyone considering living on a boat should really either A, go sail or go see if you can stay on somebody's boat for a weekend, right? Just to, just because the space is different, right? Everything is different. It's really small. And the coolest thing for me was you can move your house wherever you want to go. For us, that was the main thing. It was like, we can take our house and we can move it here and we don't have to worry. Did we unplug the iron? Did we winterize the pipes? Did we, did we leave the, our whole thing's there. Our books are there. Our pots are there. Our cool coffee mugs are there. Like we have all of our cool little clothes. And so that was the big allure for me. It was like, we could take our house and we could move it wherever we want, but I knew how to sail. There wasn't that learning curve, but still my pitch to someone wanting to move onto a boat, it's an awesome way to live. And the people that you meet living that lifestyle will restore your faith in humanity because the coolest thing about boating is especially sailing. You know, you, you pick this arcane way of travel, right? We're all worrying about the fastest internet, the fastest phone, and we got all this stuff. And then here we are traveling at six and a half miles an hour by wind speed, 3000 year old technology, right? So, but when you pull into a dock, the dude that takes your lines, he's a sailor. He, you don't have any idea about his socioeconomic position. He's not, you don't know if he's a doctor, if he's a lawyer, if he's a garbage man, you have sailing as a connection immediately. You put your feet on that dock and the thing is, where'd you come from? I love your boat. What's this? What'd you do that? You know what? And then you're already in it. You're in it. What do you need? Do you need a shower? Do you need this? We have this over here. We got this over here. Come over here. We're just making dinner. It is an amazingly cool thing. But you need to go into it with your eyes open. You need to go into it because sailing, it's, you know, one of the, I got into it. One of the reasons was because I thought it was going to help me save a lot of money. Man, we're not going to have to pay rent. We're going to just pay marina fees. We're not going to have to worry about you know, the water heater and the roof and what you do because the stuff breaks on a boat and it's just as expensive. So the whole cost saving thing until you, you know, if you buy a perfectly pristine boat that doesn't need any maintenance, then you might be able to save some money and get ahead of it. But initially you have to think about, you know, a sailboat is in salt water and in the sun, two of the most harshest environments on the planet. So um, I just, I would tell people it's, it's an awesome way to do it. And, um, it definitely is an easier way to do it. Cause you don't have to, you know, you can go tiny without having to build a tiny house and commit that much. You can, you don't have to buy the trailer and commit to this huge process of building this tiny house. You could buy a boat and spend the summer on it. You can go find a Catalina 30 for eight to 10 grand and buy it and spend the summer on it. And if you hate it, or it's just not what you think. Hey, man, you sell it for seventy-five hundred bucks, and you spent thirty-five, three thousand dollars for a great summer experience that you know isn't for you. But you know, I would say that's really everyone gets really sold on the romantic idea of sailing, but they they ha- they don't they haven't been in a really wicked ass storm, or they haven't had their anchor drag when you're a hundred yards from a coral reef that if you hit it, you're done. So there's all this other stuff that plays in the background that that isn't really there in the forefront of people's minds when they see somebody going, Oh man, I live on a sailboat. They're like, that's the coolest thing ever. My wife will just scoff and say, sometimes. 
One thing that I like to ask all of my guests is what are two or three books or even resources or movies or things that inspired you along this journey that you want to share with our listeners? I love that question. Um, I was listening to Andrea and her husband on their sailboat. You know, they were great. That interview you did with them. And uh, that's her name, right? Andrea, did I get that right? I'm um, sorry. Gabriella. Gabriella. Andrew and Gabriella. Andrew sorry. and Gabriella, yeah. Yes, yes. They were awesome. Um, my One of the first coolest books I read that someone told me uh, when I was just into sailing was um, First You Have to Row a Little Boat by Richard Bode. Um, and it's this guy's account of sort of remind when you tell me about your wife's story, it reminded me of this book and it's just a simple little book about this man's dream to go sailing and then life gets in the way and he has kids and you know, you da, 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 just like this whole thing we're talking about, this process of life happens and then he gets back to it and he buys a small boat and he, you know, he, he rekindles his love affair with sailing. But if it is, it is, it's just a lovely little story that is. You know, it's not going to teach you how to sail. It's not going to, but it is an inspiring tale, and it's it's such a great book. Um, I love um, I love what Bryce Langston's doing over at that uh, tiny lit living big in a tiny house. His his YouTube channel. Um, I think he's also a musician too. So you guys like, and your channel, of course. I mean, what you're doing is just these 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 things are showing people that normal people can do this right and and it's just um it's an approachable serious way to live alternative to the craziness that's going on so that channel has been i always find myself like late at night right before i go to bed have a cup of tea i'll click on there and see one of his latest little things just because i love design i love the process of design and i love to see how somebody treats wow are they using a propane stove or an alcohol stove versus you know, convection oven, or do they not have a stove at all? Or are they heating on a wood stove? Like I love to see how everyone solves their own problems for themselves. So those kind of resources are really cool to me. And then, you know, for the reality of sailing, if you want to like really get into the reality of sailing, um, John Kretschmer, uh, is a great friend of mine. He's a world renowned sailor. He's been around Cape Horn. Uh, he's got several books, um, that are just incredibly like they'll cut to the chase. They'll scale the hell out of you. And if you want to go, if you want to go sailing, you read a John Kretschmer book, you know, it's like, Oh, if that doesn't bother you, then go for it, man, go for it. Nice. Those all sound like great resources that, I mean, the, the two books. Um, well, Chris DeCroce, thank you so much. This was really fun. Oh, Ethan, thank you, man. I, I hope I didn't ramble too much and get off on tangents and tears, but it's fun to talk to you about what you're doing and, and you know, you're, you are, you guys are the ones that are really, really the spearhead of this whole movement. I mean, your blog is so professional and you ask the greatest questions and just the sensibilities you have. And, you know, it's just, it's just really cool to be a part of it. I'm totally honored and jazzed that you uh, allowed me to be here. You can find the show notes, including links to the resources that Chris mentioned in this episode at thetinyhouse.net slash 039. Thank you so much to Chris DeCroce for being a guest on the show. And as I mentioned in the intro, 
This is the last show in 2018. Starting the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast was by far the best decision I made of the entire year. I love making the show each week and I love hearing from listeners. So if you have any feedback for me, including ideas for guests I could invite onto the show, topics you'd like to hear me cover, please send me an email. You can send those suggestions to podcast at thetinyhouse.net. And I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't say, please subscribe to the show. Please subscribe anyone you know who's interested in Tiny Houses to the show. And if you're really feeling generous, go over to Apple Podcasts and leave the show a rating and review. It helps other people find the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, helps our audience grow, and ultimately helps me make more episodes. Well, that's all for this year. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.